we're at a fascinating point in time right now where traditionally evolution would be enough for retailers to adjust, to accommodate, to keep up with the times, to keep up with the consumer. But today's diabolical consumers demanding so much more on so many different dimensions that revolution is called for. Welcome to There's a Better Way, a podcast series focused on exploring how operational excellence principles can provide solutions in your personal and professional life. Each episode, Dr. Arvind Chandrasekharan, professor and academic director at The Ohio State University Fisher College of Business, will sit down with a prominent expert or faculty leader to discuss problems we face in our world today. This program is brought to you by the Master of Business Operational Excellence. Welcome to There is a Better Way. I'm here with Dr. Tom Goldsby, Professor of Logistics and the Chair of the Department of Marketing and Logistics at The Ohio State University. Welcome to the program, Tom. Thank you, Arvind. Tom, uh, can you tell us more about uh, what do you do as a researcher in this area of logistics and operations? Certainly. I uh, try to be pretty active in several different ways uh, as a researcher and, and scholar here at Fisher. Uh, one primary role that I have now is I serve as the co-editor-in-chief for the Journal of Business and Logistics, uh, along with Walter Zen here at Ohio State Fisher College. And uh, that's a great opportunity for Walter and me to have a front row seat to the research that's being conducted around the world on the subject of, of logistics and broader scope supply chain management. So as well as trying to contribute to the dialogue, uh, we also have an opportunity to serve as something of a clearinghouse for research that's being conducted worldwide and to get a first look at what innovative uh, scholars are doing around the world and to bring that forward to the rest of the world. It's great, Tom, because we're going to talk about one of those innovations today. In particular, we're going to talk about this idea of omni-channels. We've been hearing a lot on omni-channels and how it's changing the way an average consumer is actually buying products from, from retailers. Can you tell us more about what is an omni-channel? Sure. I, I would break it down in terms of, at its root, omni, meaning anything, anywhere, at any time. And that sounds pretty good if you're a consumer to be able to demand anything, anywhere, at any time. Uh, the challenge then is for retailers and others who are trying to serve consumers directly to figure out how to provide that omnipresence uh, in the supply chain. And unfortunately, it comes with a lot of redundancies. It comes with redundancies in store locations, inventory locations, inventory itself, and is a very costly proposition. However, you and I as the consumer out there, we, we demand that level of service and so retailers are having to try to figure out how to accommodate and still make money doing it. So that's where we find ourselves in a very interesting time and place. So, so tell me more about how does it work? Like think about me as a, re, uh, a consumer walking into a retail store uh, for a better example. Think about DSW. I walk mm -hmm. into DSW and I don't find my right size. So what I have seen interestingly happening, or even Macy's, is that they're telling me that you don't have the right size here, but you have a size that is available maybe in a different store or in, in, a, in a warehouse, and don't worry about it, we'll send it back to your home. Is, is that possible because of Omnichannel? It is, it is. So certainly stores would still like to have you walk in the front door, find an item, and you know, pay at the cashier and walk out. That's, that's still the way about 86% of commerce takes place in the United States presently. But as you know, an ever-increasing share of commerce is moving to the online format. And it could be that you're shopping entirely online and expecting that delivery to your door, or it might be some uh, other combination. It may be that you do walk into the store, find something that you like that's not 
quite uh, fitting uh, of, of your expectations, and the store will remedy that situation. Now, granted, right now it's at their dime. It's at their expense. Mm. And that's, again, where we find ourselves in a very interesting place in time is there's such incredible, incredibly intense competition to win over the customer that customers right now are swallowing that expense. But over time, it's just not sustainable to do that. Okay, so from what I see is then it's a big challenge for the retailers. Now, the customers have higher bargaining power. So if they don't want, like you said, the, the if they want some product and it's not there, they think it's the retailer's job to actually send it back and it doesn't matter how much it's going to be costly and they're not going to pay for that. Exactly, exactly. So we've seen over over the past say four decades, a shift where manufacturers used to have immense power in the supply chain based upon being the purveyor of brands that consumers wanted. And then Walmart and other very powerful retailers came along in the 1990s, and by virtue of providing incredible assortment in a location near you at an everyday low price, much of the power shifted to retailers. And I think now, we're finding uh, the consumer wielding incredible power by virtue of things like social media, mobile technologies. Uh, I refer to today's consumers being diabolical. Mm. I mean, we are just so demanding now in every dimension of service. It's not just in providing incredible assortment uh, in, in, and perhaps even in real time, providing that assortment could even be customization of products and services. Uh, it could be free shipping, which we're all addicted to, uh, as you noted, competitive pricing, and then a willingness to stand behind the promise. If for some reason uh, a service provider disappoints you, you expect uh, to be uh, rectified in some way. You expect the, the consumer uh, to, as a consumer, you expect that uh, you're going to have what I call immaculate recovery performed mm -hmm. for you, that the retailer, the provider is going to step up and make things right. So that means having incredibly re, uh, liberal returns policies mm -hmm. and whatever it takes to try to get you back in uh, in the store in the future. So what do you think are some retailers, I mean, what are, what are they doing, Tom, to make all these things possible? Because there's always some process that is going to help them to do that, right? Right. So tell us more about what they're doing. Well, they're innovating uh, incredibly. And I had a chance to to interview a senior executive from a major retailer recently, and he was sharing with the audience the assortment of innovations that they were bringing to market. And it just struck me as being just incredib incredibly experimental. Hmm. And I approached him after the talk, and I said, you know, I'm just amazed at all the things you're bringing to market now. And he said, frankly, we're throwing things against the wall to see what sticks, mm. and we'll figure out how to make money later, which struck me as fascinating. Uh, but I think that that later time down the road, it, it, you know, shareholders are going to be expecting their, their returns. Uh, no doubt, we got to try to figure out how to innovate for the consumer. But um, I mentioned the word experiment, and I think there's a classic tool that we use as process scientists, design mm -hmm. of experiments. Mm -hmm. And I think that that classic tool needs to be used in a way to look before we leap. You know, let's try to change maybe one factor and understand what impact that has on the consumer. Uh, is that enough to satisfy him or her? Uh, will they come back and, and buy in the future? And so there needs to be a little bit of order to the chaos that mm -hmm. we're seeing right now. And I think there's some classic tools that we all know in OpEx 
that can be put to work. In fact, like in MBOE, we talk about this whole idea of agile mindset, right? The whole agile development. How do you like, like iterate quickly and learn mm-hmm. from that? I think that is coming into practice from what I'm hearing from you. No, absolutely. I mean, there needs to be uh, experimentation with purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, the, the, the classic tools that uh, we teach in our programming here, MBOE and, and throughout OpEx, are very relevant to, again, look before we leap. Uh, there's certainly the need for innovation, but uh, I think wise innovation is what's sure. called for. So from your experience, Tom, you see that some retailers, you mentioned a few already, uh, Walmart, Target, are, are trying to do this. We also hear and see a lot of other retailers like Toys R Us. My favorite example is Toys R Us. I love going and shopping in Toys R Us. I'm totally disappointed that they are actually reducing their size and no longer in existence. So is Sears. Why are certain people not doing the others doing it? What, what's going on there? Well, the, the catch, I, it's more than a catchphrase. Uh, the, the catch phenomenon, if you will, in retail is customer experience. And just I could tell in your voice, you know, the, the, you, you, you keenly enjoyed going to a Toys R Us store. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, knowing you, Arvin, you probably got down on the floor and actually uh, tried out some of the toys that were right, right there now. in front of you. <laughs> so uh, that, that speaks of customer experience. And I think, um, you know, if, if I were to pick on Sears, you know, they perhaps did not offer the customer experience that more successful uh, providers are, are providing. And, there's a, a common expression in retailing is that is that retail is not dead, but bad retail is dying. Mm. And so uh, it seems like the, the secret is to provide that customer experience that uh, is not just that you can walk into a store and get the stuff mm. that you're looking for, but to also to take some sense of joy sure. in that experience yeah. and want to come back. Yeah, and, and recently I can share with you, recently I wanted to purchase an eyeglass. And it used to be the days when I actually go to an optical store and give them the prescription. And I came across this company, Wabi Parker, that I also read about. And I find the same experience to be given to me by logging on to Wabi Parker. And then they're giving me so much experience of trying out new things. And they're also sending me five or six frames to say, try it on and then send me those that are not available. Do you think that is actually changing the way experience is, is happening? Well, they've, they've completely redefined that whole, not just the eyeglass uh, buying experience, but the experience of wearing the yeah. eyeglass, right? I mean, the tradition is that you would uh, take a prescription to an optometrist or to another uh, eyewear uh, retailer, you'd buy a single pair of, of glasses uh, and frames and you'd think, okay, these will be my, this will be my fashion for the next three to five years. And as you point out, in three to five minutes, you can take a survey on Warby Parker and then they'll produce an array of options and you're not limited to a single uh, pair of glasses. And as you point out, they're willing to take all of the risk away from you, the consumer, to say, hey, why don't we send you a, a host of options keep the ones you like and send the rest back, which is a very difficult uh, proposition to say no to, frankly. Yeah, and if you think about it, this I'm assuming this actually should be some warning signals to a lot of retailers if they don't really think about this kind of uh, a way to, uh, a channel to actually think about customer experience because nobody would have thought that an eyeglass company could come in the middle. I mean, Luxottica used to own that uh, market now you can see that not just Wabi Parker, you see a lot of other eyeglass companies trying to replicate that model because, as you mentioned, they are integrating technology and process 
to deliver that customer experience. So are there other areas of retail where you see these kind of threats coming in? Yeah, certainly. And I think uh, before Warby Parker, it was Zappos, uh-huh. you know, that said, you know, whether it's footwear or handbags, you know, pick as many as you like, we'll send them to you and send back what you, what you don't like. And uh, Amazon, as you probably know, got tired of competing against Zappos, and so they bought them mm-hmm. some years ago and incorporated them into the Amazon family of businesses. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a wonder. We've been talking here for a few minutes, and Amazon had not come up. I was going to say up. that we, we cannot <laughs> have a conversation about retail without Amazon. Exactly. So, so what they are trying to master is customer experience and, and offloading the, the burdens uh, that come with shopping. Uh, to provide uh, not only the, the assortment that you're looking for, but to make it so easy for you to come into the assortment that you're looking for. And of course, as you know, they're moving uh, backwards in the supply chain and becoming the purveyors of more products mm-hmm. uh, under their own labels. And so, you know, uh, Amazon is just an incredible case study. There's something of an outlier. But I think they were something of a forebear to the Warby Parkers and others that are saying, hey, we're going to come in and we're going to redefine that business and, uh, you know, there, there is an investment uh, that goes with that. But right now, investors are, are, are willing to uh, take those bets. Yeah, and I want to, again, we can't have a conversation without Amazon, right? So I want to go back to Amazon, sure. as you mentioned. So going back to this omni-channel, you see uh, uh, recently that there is this emergence of Amazon brick-and-mortar stores where uh, I've seen one uh, right on uh, the high street. You can go there in Columbus, and uh, uh, they're using it for multiple purposes. Um, do you see that as a fact of, uh, okay, now Amazon is missing that element? You mentioned about my experience in Toys R Us, of going and touching and feeling toys. Do you think that's where Amazon is saying, I want to go to that part of that channel and say, okay, I'm going to create these kind of brick-and-mortar presence where I can still use it for a, a warehouse as well as give that experience. Do you think that's why they're moving there, Tom? Yeah, I think so. And also, you know, the Whole Foods acquisition uh-huh. of 2017 is another example of where they're trying to provide that physical presence. Of course, they were happy to kind of acquire the customer database uh, of Whole Foods shoppers, but also just having that physical presence, more stores. And, and if we talk about the two giants, Walmart and Amazon, uh, Amazon uh, was a much later entry to the game, uh, 1995, when Bezos and friends started selling their first books uh, and later video and other content uh, online. And that was also about the same time, if you recall a few minutes ago, we were talking about Walmart having immense power mm-hmm. in the supply chain. If we fast forward to modern day, you know, Walmart having you know, over 6,000 uh, stores here in the U.S., and I'm speaking of the, the large uh, footprint, uh, super Walmart stores, uh, they have a huge head start in that reach, you know, that connection, physical presence in the market. I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a U.S. citizen that wasn't within 20 miles of a Walmart store, you know, maybe somewhere out in the desert, you mm-hmm. know, you might, you might find a dearth of, of population and, and reach there. But you've, you have Amazon who fast-forward is adding you know, just off the top of my head, 30 or 40 warehouse locations every year. And then, as you point out, opening the front door uh, to some of these warehouses and also having their Prime Now store locations like the one you mentioned on High Street. And so there's this interesting convergence that we're observing where Walmart has the physical presence, but they don't have the online presence Mm -hmm. uh, to the extent that, that Amazon does. 
and then meanwhile, Amazon has the online presence, but not the physical presence. And so, you know, you do see the uh, expanding distribution footprint, the added store footprint with, with Amazon Now and Prime, as well as uh, the acquisitions of Whole Foods. And there's some su- suggestion that maybe Amazon's not finished uh, mm. acquiring. Um, I won't say who or when, but uh, you know, there's some suspicion that they could uh, acquire a big box retailer. Okay. And, and, and I also see uh, the whole idea of Amazon investing in the uh, logistics with the drones. Do you see that is coming soon where uh, we're going to have Amazon Prime being delivered to our homes through drones? Is that reality? Yeah, I, th- I think they're innovating, again, in so many different aspects. And I'll speak to another form of air transportation with Amazon Air. Uh-huh. Uh, they have their, their hub in um, greater Cincinnati. We were hoping to have it here in Ohio. It's just across the river as it would happen, but nearby. And so they're getting involved in the game of UPS and FedEx with air distribution of mass volumes. And then as you point out, that last mile, that final segment of delivery uh, with drones, uh, Jeff Bezos introduced that idea on 60 Minutes about three years ago. We've not seen it here in the U.S. because of FAA rules and regulations. However, uh, we are seeing breakthroughs in Europe and Asia (laughs) with the drones being used uh, in commercial deliveries. And I think that the American consumer is going to demand that we have those. So, you know, we could be sitting here in this office a few years down the road watching drones come and go. Uh, and these drones are going to be very smart. You know, yeah. they're, they're relying on autonomous uh, navigation and uh, artificial intelligence are getting smarter and smarter all the time. That's great. So you mentioned about the other parts of the, the world, right? So I want to go back to the Europe, right? So one of my other fascinating, going back to this omni-channel and process and supply chains, uh, think about a company like Zara. Uh, people never even, like 10, 10 years ago, they didn't even know about this company uh, from Spain. And think about how, I mean, what do you think about, we all hear about Zara and how they're really good in bringing new products or new dresses every four weeks. How is that even possible, Tom? Well, they've redefined the problem. I think most retailers would tend to operate within 14 seasons over the course of a year. Those are, that's you know roughly three to four weeks for a season. And planning several months in advance and working with vendors uh, often on the other side of the world, working ahead the better part of a year to figure out what they're going to bring to market to accommodate any single one of those 14 sales seasons. Zara has turned it on its ear and said, we're going to create those sales seasons. We're going to bring product to market that we think is going to set the fashion. Mm. And as you uh, alluded, you know, the, the Zara consumer knows that if they don't grab what's on the rack now, they can come back the following day or the following week, it's not going to be there. And so they've really kind of created a very different value proposition by virtue of bringing fast fashion mm-hmm. uh, and setting the tone of fashion. And, and, and having more than 14 seasons, yeah. uh, not allowing things to be uh, on the rack for three or four weeks at a time, and, uh, and, and engineering a supply chain that, barring the word you used earlier, is much more agile. Yeah, in fact, like as you mentioned, Tom, earlier about this whole idea of operational excellence in supply chain, wouldn't Zara be a great example of lean in supply chains? Think about very small products, assortments, just-in-time shipment, visibility of process, even though they are located in Spain, they exactly know how a consumer in Chicago walking into Zara store 
is buying and that buying pattern is immediately transferred so they can make better production decisions in Spain. Isn't that fascinating? No, I, I agree completely. I, I might refer to Zara as lean extreme, oh. right, in that they are not taking demand as given and then trying to, I'm using air quotes here, lean out their operations to most efficiently accommodate uh, against some uh, long-term plan, uh, which, is, which is the way many companies might implement lean, but rather they're focusing on the customer mm. and not just you know, uh, the customer on average, the Zara consumer, and trying to move that Zara consumer and obviously bring more consumers into that fold. But by virtue of influencing demand and then having this extreme lean supply chain, agile, as, as you and I might refer to it, they're able to very rapidly accommodate and, and change directions. If they find that they have one uh, fashion experience that doesn't work, they're going to very quickly turn direction. That is great. Uh, are there any U.S. retailers that are doing what Zara is doing? Well, I, I think that Zara is uh, making its way here to the U.S. market. I, I think that many U.S. retailers were thinking that they had a hard time competing with Zara in Europe and other places around the world, but as Zara is establishing more presence here in the U.S., they're having to adapt. And uh, you know, I think that you know we have a, a world-class retailer in L Brands right yeah. here, and I think that they're uh, having to adapt uh, to to uh, the consumer and the competitive forces at work. And I think they're going to find success uh, ultimately. But it's it's a very challenging reorientation of the business that the likes of Zara brings to us. Okay, again, going back to our original topic of this whole idea of process and omni-channels, what do you think? Again, from a consumer standpoint, our listeners listening to us. Do you see in the foreseeable future uh, the way they are actually transacting with the retailers? Do you see that to be changing a lot? Do you see them like not going into even a Kroger uh, and then like saying, I'm going to have my uh, groceries delivered directly to my home. I don't even need to go there. Do you see there's a big mindset change from the consumers that we have to be aware of? Yeah, I think there's a migration. You might consider it something of a maturity model. Uh, that we as individual consumers, you know, what do you know, many things we try, we like, <laughs> and we want more of it, and then we expect more innovation. In, in my household, I, I think we're a good example of that. Uh, my wife has recently uh, been buying uh, groceries online and then having the pickup, and she loves that service, you know, rather than spending an hour pushing a shopping cart up and down aisles. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the retailer that we buy from, a great co uh, Ohio company, Kroger, uh, they have her shopping list. They know what she bought last week. And they say, do you just want to replicate last week's list? Generally speaking, yes, with some adjustments. She'll spend a few minutes making adjustments at home and say, I'll be there at the store a few miles away uh, between 8 and 9, and you just bring those groceries on out to me. Uh, the next step in our maturation, migration, might be to have uh, the, the retailer deliver to, to the home or to leave them in a drop box somewhere. So, you know, we have our own migration, perhaps, that we, uh, flight path, if you will, that we might be on. But I think it's up to individual consumers. You know, just as I speak of our household making that migration, my parents, you know, baby boomers uh, approaching the age of 80. Sorry, folks, uh, for sharing that. But, um, you know, they haven't made the, the migration. But, you know, our, our grandkids are proving, to, our, our children, their grandkids are proving to them that, you know, maybe there's some merit to this. You know, this notion of Netflix streaming anything to you at, at any time is a pretty cool concept. So I think it's up to individual consumers to determine their own readiness. Sure. But by and large, you try something, 
pretty good chance you might like it, expect more of it, and then be open to more innovation down the road. Getting back to OpEx, OpEx is very much about bringing these innovations forward in a way that is informed, so you don't lose your shirt doing so, uh, soundly executed, so that the customer's expectations are met time and again, and that maybe, just maybe, you can make a profit doing this. That's great. So what I'm hearing, Tom, is basically some of the main takeaways from our discussion here is change is coming. Uh, it's here. Ch- change is <laughs> here. You better be prepared as a retailer. And again, process, technology are certainly going to be essential for enhancing that customer experience. And change could take multiple forms. And you've got to be agile to manage those and be able to like react quickly if there is any failure so you're always having that highest customer experience. Absolutely well said. As, as I point out to my students, there's never been a better time to be a consumer. But I also go on to say I think there's never been a better time to be a business serving the consumer because the rate of change is so immense and the opportunities uh, to be creative, create real value, and, uh, and, and create fascinating business models is, is right here upon us. And it's we're only limited based upon our own creativity. That is great, Todd. This has been a fascinating discussion, Tom. I really want to thank you for your time. Thank you, Arvin. It's uh, been a delight. Great. Thanks, Tom. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of There's a Better Way. To listen to our other episodes and for more information on the Master of Business and Operational Excellence, please visit go.osu.edu backslash M-B-O-E.